right, scripture reading today comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, it is a, a great joy to be able to be back uh, and, and with you all. Certainly miss the times where I could worship with my church family, but being back here after three months of a break, uh, I feel like nothing has changed. And that's a good thing for me. It just feels very familiar to be back here. And so thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you for the times that, that you've, you remembered us and, and your encouraging words that you have sent to us. Before we get into the word, we have three guests or four guests visiting us today. Uh, so if, if I call your name, if you could just gently raise your hand so we can recognize you. Uh, first, we have Andrew Kang, who's visiting us today. He's here somewhere. Ah, yes, in the back. Uh, we have, and my apologies if I mispronounce your name, Cleed. She's back there. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have Chris right here in the front. Thank you. And Kaya. Thank you for joining us today. Let's all welcome them together. <laughs> well, you guys have fans. Uh, <laughs> well, as um, we, well, you might be wondering, why am I preaching on a passage that talks about the futility of life and how everything is vanity of vanities, all is vanity as soon as I return from my sabbatical? You might have thought that my break was terrible and that everything I realized is just meaningless. Um, but as I think about the times that we're in and even the season, as, as summer's coming to an end, I think summertime is when families and individuals, they, they think about vacation breaks, and around fall is when things tend to restart and revamp, people going to jobs or, or looking for jobs and starting new jobs. And I think it's, it's helpful to begin our season of busyness uh, with, with such passage of the Bible that gives us the right perspective. Are we pursuing things the way God wants us to? And are we seeing the world as they are so that we can place our hope, our purpose, and our ultimate satisfaction in, in the Lord and not of the things that we find in this world that is fading and will fade away? Uh, for those of you who don't know, the, just to give you a little background story of, of the book of Ecclesiastes, it's written by a wise man who's recording the words of this teacher, this preacher, who, who we do not know by name, just simply labeled as the preacher. 
traditionally, this preacher is identified with King Solomon because of the uh, Solomon being tied to wisdom, as well as the identification of this preacher being a son of David, king in Jerusalem, during the time when Israel was still one nation. We find later on in verse 12 that this was a king in Israel over Jerusalem, uh, or over Jerusalem in Israel. So this was before the divide, and that happened right around, uh, well, that happened right after Solomon's son, Rehoboam. So many people think that this preacher is King Solomon. In the book of Ecclesiastes, what it is, it's really a commentary of life under the curse. Since the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, and with the curse to the ground that produces thorns and thistles, it's, it's revealing how everything in life is just so frustrating, how so many things that we strive to do end up feeling pointless, meaningless, confusing. And the reality is, life really is confusing, and life really can be pointless if this is all there is to it. So our pursuits, our desires, our thoughts, our actions are If they're all about this world, then we will be met with frustration in the end. And all of our pursuits, even obtaining the desires of our pursuits, will be pointless. But the book of Ecclesiastes, as a result, directs us not to fix our eyes on what is under the sun, but if we desire to receive life that is worth living, a life filled with joy, and life that is everlasting, then we need to start fixing our eyes above the sun. So as, as we go into the preaching of this word, I want to encourage all of you to take some time to read Ecclesiastes on your own, especially for those of you who are working, for those of you who, want, who are uh, working to make money or are making lots of money, who are looking for purpose or satisfaction in life. Uh, read it on your own, and, and I would say you go even further to gather together with some people, read, ask questions, and discuss, and I hope that you, uh, you will find wisdom and see how life can be so vain if really this is all there is, and, and that this, this will cause you to move your eyes upward and find your true purpose, joy, satisfaction, and life everlasting, which are found only in Christ alone. So let's pray as we go into the preaching of the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great delight to be able to join together as God's people and, and know that you are God who is not silent. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you may speak to us today. Empower us by your spirit to receive understanding that we may gain sight to see Christ Jesus as our treasure and our hope and the, and the rest that, that, that we desperately desire and want. Uh, we, we thank you, Father, for um, the time where we can encourage one another and, and be encouraged and challenged by you, knowing that you are shaping us each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know if any of you here are uh, tennis fans, but uh, this summer in Wimbledon, something uh, drastic, amazing happened. It, it ha- and the Wimbledon tournament, it's the, uh, the oldest and the most famous tennis tournament in the world held in London. And a 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz played, against the, uh, played in the tournament championship against the 36-year-old Novak Djokovic, also known as the Joker. Now, Djokovic uh, has already won Wimbledon seven times and currently holds the record for the most Grand Slam titles in men's singles with 23 championships. Needless to say, even though Alcaraz was ranked number one, with Djokovic ranked number two, the Joker was favored to win. And after the first match going to Djokovic, everyone thought, surely, okay, he, he's going to win another championship. But set after set, match after match, Alcaraz started winning points and finally beating the Joker in the fifth match to win the tournament. The crowd roared to, with excitement as they congratulated their new champion, and Djokovic gave a nice speech congratulating the young player, as well as answering the question, how do you feel 
which is just a really dumb question to ask to the person who just lost the entire tournament. How do you feel? How should he feel? <laughs> but what now? Yes, Alcaraz goes on the record for being the 2023 Wimbledon champion, and Djokovic still remains the record holder for the most Grand Slam titles in the men's singles. But still, what now? Alcaraz is going to play more tournaments, chasing after more championships as if the previous one didn't matter. And Djokovic will play again in more tournaments, chasing after more championships as if his previous titles didn't matter. And they will keep pursuing and chasing after more titles one after another. And even after winning one, they have to start all over again with continual training and rehabilitation to try to win the titles that they had won before. This is true of all professional competitions. Uh, even as the world champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, the it's a football team, even though they won the Super Bowl last year, they have to do it all over again this year with their training and with their scheming, whatever they do to win another Super Bowl. Same with the Houston Astros. I guess that's the team with the scheming, right? <laughs> it's a baseball team. They have to do it all over again to win another World Series. Same with the Vegas Golden Knights, which is a hockey team, and the Denver Nuggets, a basketball team, and other professional sports that I have no idea what they are. They, they're they're going to have to do it all over again year after year to win another one, which was the same one they won in the previous year. And this is what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us. So many people live in pursuit of the greatest, the highest, and the most, only to find that what they're pursuing after is the wind. They are grasping for greatness, only to find that what is in their hand is emptiness. Jim Carrey, a famous actor, comedian, turned philosopher, and artist, this is something that he said. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Or the preacher here in Ecclesiastes states this in the form of a question in verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? After putting in all that work and investment, what do you have to show for it but more work and more investing and more laboring and more toiling? With more sleepless nights and more anxiety and more depression, what do you have to show for all the work that you have put in? Even as we rise to the top of the ladder, whether that be a corporate ladder, a skill ladder, whatever it may be, life truly has a way of bringing us down. And this is because you and I are living in a fallen world. The preacher uses the phrase under the sun to identify this fallen world. That means when you rise, you're going to fall eventually. That when you experience some highs in life, the lows are right around the corner. And some of these fallings and lows will impact us so deeply that we're going to forget the times that we rose. We're going to forget the experiences, those high experiences, and everything will seem like they are pointless or meaningless. So in the beginning of his thought, he explains why everything, everything that he has seen and experienced in this life and in this world, despite the wealth, the, the populations, the wisdom and knowledge, why everything is meaningless and frustrating why everything feels like you're just grasping air, why everything is vanity. And so I have four points today. Uh, and number one, and we're, for the first three, we're going to share why the preacher thinks everything is vanity. And the fourth, hopefully, we, we will end with a more uh, hopeful perspective as, as believers in Christ. So number one, all is vanity because nothing changes. 
Number two, all is vanity because we're never satisfied. And number three, all is vanity because we are forgetful. And with the fourth point, I want to present a more higher perspective that is not present in our passage, but it is present throughout Ecclesiastes, particularly at the end, which I'll call it a heavenly perspective. So all is vanity because nothing changes. We're never satisfied. We're forgetful. But there is a heavenly perspective that, that you and I can have when we believe in Jesus. And so uh, hopefully, I know we had a lot of things going on in our service this morning already, but hopefully you can, you can be here to listen to all the four points, because if you only listen to the three points, uh, you're going to hear a very different message than what I'm preaching. But let's look at the reasons why everything is vanity. And first is because nothing changes. After claiming that everything is meaningless, frustrating, perplexing, chasing after the wind, which are all the ways that the word vanity means here in our passage, he points out how nothing changes. What do you get from your labor, from all the hours that you put into your work? Many people today work to get by in life. You pursue a good degree at a good school so you can get a good job with a good pay so you can spend on the essentials and the luxury. Yet no matter how much you have or what you have acquired, there will always be problems in life. If you don't have to worry about money, you probably have to worry about the jobs that, or, or the job that you have. If you don't have to worry about getting married because you are already married, you have to worry about the one that you married. You may not care about getting rich, but I'm sure you care about being healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually. And perhaps some of us have more loftier reasons to work, that we have a genuine desire to make the world a better place than mere personal accommodations. Yet even in such high noble pursuits, the problems don't stop. You capture one predator who preys on the innocent and the, and the young, and there are thousands of more predators to catch. If you helped one household of hunger, there's a whole village to worry about. Hundreds of guilty people go free. Several innocent people are put in prison. The older generations always worried about the younger generations and see them to be problematic, while the younger generation sees older generations and see them as outdated, unable to understand. When we see our labors and problems of the world, it seems like we haven't straightened anything on the crooked line. Yet we see the day end, and we know that we have to start all over again with the rising sun. We have to go back to work and labor for another eight to nine hours doing things that we don't like doing, or we have to go back doing things without knowing how much of an impact you're really going to have on another person. We have the desire to make a change, but it's like changing, trying to change the trajectory of a hurricane. You want to see your work mount to something, but it's like a river emptying into an ocean where the sea level is not impacted at all by the flowing river. So as a result of seeing the lack of product and the produce of the work of our hands, we become frustrated. It feels like things are so pointless and you have no idea if you're gonna grasp for anything that's worthwhile in the end. And yet we do it day after day, week after week, year after year, even when nothing seems to change. And this isn't the only reason why all is vanity. Now, please keep, stay with me, because as Christians, our message does end in hope. I will not conclude this message to say, your life is vain, see you guys next week. This message does get better with a better perspective, but the preacher demands that you and I see the world as it is so that we can place our hope in something that will not put us to shame. And so all is vanity because nothing changes, but number two, all is vanity because we are never satisfied. Today, we have virtually all the information in the world and its entertainment at our fingertips. 
We can access whatever music we want to listen to. We can watch whatever movie or TV shows we want to watch. We can play whatever games we want to play, and we can even eat whatever food we might want to eat. Yet our eyes are not satisfied with seeing, nor our ears satisfied with hearing. Things that used to excite us with a sense of newness can become dull very quickly, and new things we come to see are just rehashing or creatively repackaging old things. Little kids want to grow up. Grown-ups want to be kids again. The grass always seems greener on the other side. And it's tiresome to try to find satisfaction because every time you find something that satisfies you, it becomes dull to you, boring to you. People are always out finding the perfect man or the perfect woman, trying to get the perfect education and get the perfect job, trying to be in a perfect marriage with perfect children, with the perfect house in a perfect town, with the perfect car in a perfect country. <gasps> And all in a world that's very damaged and imperfect. Rarely do we go to bed thinking that was a good day. We often go to bed thinking, I still have to finish these things. There's still those people I got to deal with. I have those anxieties and, and debts and things to pay. Rarely do we go to bed thinking that was a satisfying day. We even eat meals and think and talk about the perfect meal that we are not having. I go eat with people and sometimes they say, do you know what I really wanna eat right now? Other than what you're eating, happily? <laughs> We're not satisfied. And the world plays into our need to constantly fill because we're never satisfied. Movie productions have to make sequels all the time, even if they're bad. And they have to end with cliffhangers so that we come for more. Musicians have to constantly put out things that, that, all, that start to sound the same. They're just rehashing old songs. This is why we can sit in front of a screen and, and we can watch endless hours of things that we really don't care about. And even the things that we once cared about can become very boring. There are always more things to see. There are more things to hear. There are always more things to buy, more money to earn, and we're never satisfied. You know, the preacher throughout this wisdom literature tells the, the audience that he's preaching to that when you can just sit and enjoy the food and the drink you have in front of you, that is a blessing from God. No matter how simple it may be, if you can just enjoy the food that you have, that is a blessing. And when I read that, what, what I come to see is just how terrible sin really is. Because what we know is that sin has corrupted everything that we see that God has made. And so there is no reason why we should find enjoyment at all. Would you ever eat a corrupted fruit and think that was a good fruit? No, anything that we know is corrupted meant we stay away. So there shouldn't be a reason for us to find enjoyment in anything. And we ourselves being corrupted, and even more so, we ourselves being the corrupter, we, should not, we don't deserve to experience joy of any kind. And yet God in his grace allows us to experience joys even in the smallest and the simplest of things. And so it, passages like this tells me how great sin is, but also reminds me just how greater God is in his grace and mercy. That even in the smallest of things we can find joy, which means there are several thousands, hundreds, millions of reasons of why we can experience joy despite our fallenness and despite the corruptions of this world. And there are many things to enjoy. The problem is not that we find enjoyment in the created things. You are supposed to experience many joys in this world that God has given to us. 
But the problem is that we seek for purpose and complete satisfaction in these things rather than having these experiences direct us to the creator. When our ultimate purpose and our ultimate satisfaction are placed on money, wealth, vacations, and, and all these opportunities and education, then, then that's when you become frustrated. That's when you experience life to feel pointless. So all is vanity because nothing changes. All is vanity because we're never satisfied, and all is vanity because we are, going to the third point, we're very forgetful. The preacher says in verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. The wise teacher understands that history is moving, but as it's moving forward, it's moving forward in a cycle, where though history is moving forward, at times it just feels like we're starting all over again. History just seems to be repeating itself. We're making the same mistakes over and over again from one generation to another. In other words, we're so forgetful of the progress that we have made that in certain generations and certain times, it really does feel like as humanity, we're just, we just gotta start all over. It feels like we took one step back and we're taking two steps, or we, we've taken one step forward and we're taking two steps back. Whatever problem we have solved in the past, it will become a problem to us again down the line of history that need to be resolved again. And we think that we have created something new. We found a solution that no one has ever thought of. And yet what the preacher is saying, whatever argument, discussion, questions that people have proposed, they have proposed it way in the past. They had answers for them in the past. And we just forgot about them today. There's a saying, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And, and hopefully those hard times will then create strong men. And so as history is moving forward, it seems to be moving in a cycle where we solve a problem, and that problem leads to a problem, or, or we solve a problem, and that solution leads to a problem that needs to be solved and goes to around and around and around, and it just seems like, are we just repeating the same thing over and over? As people in the 21st century, we have developed many things that our ancients could not have even dreamt of. But because our nature has remained the same to people thousands of years ago, though we have the advancement of technology, which have their good place in our lives, we tend to be creating problems faster than people before us have created. We advance to bring people into this world, and with our advancement in technology, we can keep people preserved in the world much longer but with the advancement of technology, we can also take people out much faster. And our children and our children's children will solve the very problems that we have created and that we are facing today, but their children and their children's children will create the same problems that we have created today. This is because people usually forget their generations in about two generations. Right? Within two generations, people are forgotten. This means who you are, what you have accomplished, will be forgotten either by your grandkids or more likely by your great-grandkids. And like how we can easily forget our grandparents or more likely have forgotten our great-grandparents. And to the preacher, the reason why, despite all the investments and all the opportunities that we have in this world, why all of it is just vanity, meaningless, pointless, and frustrating is because we're gonna die one day. And we have to leave everything behind, everything that we have built for. We might invest so many hours and acquire so much wealth, hoping to enjoy it one day when we retire, only to find that we're not going to live that long. 
and it's gonna have to be given up to someone else to enjoy. We have to forsake everything that we have sought after because that's what death does. It takes us away from everything. And this is why we cannot place our hope, our purpose, our meaning, or our satisfaction in the world that is under the sun. Thankfully, as believers in Christ, we have been given a new perspective to fix our eyes beyond and above the sun. So what is this heavenly perspective? Now, friends, if you believe that you are merely a mistake formed by random molecules without a belief in an intelligent designer, then your life is truly meaningless. If all of us were here just by mistake and there is really no God, then we are truly meaningless. Why are you alive? We can state why we are living, why we have come to be, even without the explanation of God, if we believe in uh, other scientific theories. But what is the purpose of your living? Why do you exist? Why do you exist? Just to live? If you have no purpose for being alive, you have no reason for living. Now, you can create your own purpose, but ultimately, that purpose you have created is also meaningless. The child born to us, the children born to us, are ultimately nothing. Why try to preserve humanity when in the end, we're all just going to die anyway? And there's no really real, genuine purpose purpose for existence why care for the world and the environment that we we are part of if this world simply will just one day with time fade away if our existence was an accident then our lives are accidental and our existence therefore becomes valuable just as the dirt under your feet or a fart of an elephant but if God exists and he made us for a reason then there is a genuine purpose for our existence, including the world that he has made. Though nothing seems like they matter right now, and though everything feels so frustrating, we find that life truly does matter, and there is such a thing as joy everlasting. That if God is real, and he has made us for a purpose, then there are reasons to live. And because God makes promises which he keeps, there are joys waiting for us. But this is a constant struggle because what we see with our very eyes is often in conflict with what we believe. We may see the world and feel like this is a godless world. Where is this good God? Where's his mercy? Where's his grace? Where's his love? I cannot see it from the tragedy and the pains that I see all around me. But we know in our beliefs, in our faith, as we see in scripture, that God is very present. But it's still a struggle. You know, I wanted to share some of the thoughts uh, that, that I've, I've gained um, through my time off that, has, that have helped me keep a heavenly perspective in light of things being frustrating and perplexing. First is, um, I, I realize I, I constantly struggle to find my rest in God as a son. You might think that, you know, preachers, pastors, this should be second nature to us or easy to us because we spend the time in the word, right? I, I get paid to study the Bible and, and you get paid nothing to study the Bible, right? This is a job that I have in one aspect. And, and so I, you know, I should be head over heels for the Lord more than anyone because this is my life. This is what I invest in to deliver and share with you all. But I have found it so difficult to simply rest in God as a son. It is still 
easier for me to relate to God as a slave than as a son. Reading the Bible these past three months without having to prepare a sermon was really hard to do. To simply rest and and see the promises that my God has given to me, revealed and fulfilled through my Lord Jesus Christ, and simply to say, God, praise you, instead of thinking this is a main point, these are some of the illustrations I can go, oh man, this is going to be a good sermon to hear. It was a hard thing to do, almost to the point where I just, I feel like I forgot how to simply read and rest in the Lord. And it still is easier to think that God would be pleased with me because of my product. That God would be pleased with me because I can produce a good sermon. That God would be pleased with me because I spent a lot of time studying the word and other things that would help me and understand and deliver. That God is pleased with me because of the amount of hours I invest in prayer. But harder to simply rest and know that God is pleased with me. Not because of me, but because of what Jesus did in my place. I wonder if any of you here in this room can relate to that struggle. But as I thought further upon that struggle, I had to ask myself, is it true? Is it really true that I labor and I toil to earn God's love? I know God doesn't want me to earn his love because if I can earn his love, Jesus truly died for nothing. But when I asked that question, is it really true that I toil and labor to earn God's love? Other thoughts started swarming into my mind and I realized I did it for the respect of the people. I did it so that I can be elevated and be propped up as a model of excellence. I did it so that you can praise me and that other people can praise me. And if people will praise me and receive me, well, then God better receive me. Here's the good news for all of us who struggle, all of us who are so fearful of man and desiring the praise of man than over our God. That if you are in Christ, even though I may see God more as a master than as a father, he still loves me as a son and not as a slave. That even if my efforts are corrupt, which they are since I'm totally depraved, God has not stopped loving me. Because God's love for me is not based on me, but on what Christ Jesus has done for me. So second thing that came to my mind in light of my confession of my depravity, even in my efforts, and more so because of God's love for me in Christ, I have found such freedom to be faithful to what God has called me to do expecting to die one day and be forgotten. There is no desire for me to leave a legacy that will be written in history books, but simply do what God has called me to do, quietly ministering in the place that God has called me to minister, die when it's my time to die, and be forgotten by generations after me. I have found so much freedom to have that mentality in my mind. Now, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious to do great things. I hope you all in this room have ambitions to do great things in the name of the Lord. But not for the sake of fame, not to be accepted, nor to be liked by others. Do the work that God has given to you, even if it seems small or insignificant. Do it faithfully. And hopefully the Lord has blessed you to find enjoyment in what you do. 
but do what God has given to you and prepare yourself every day to see the Lord face to face because one day all of us will see God face to face. And what will you look like when you see God face to face? But dear Christian, even though generations after you will forget you, within two generations is the likely point, right? Your great-grandchildren will most likely forget you. Your name is written in the book of life. Though you may be forgotten by generations after you, our Lord God does not forget his people. And one day, the great thing is all of us will see each other and remember one another in this perfect world that God is preparing. The third thing that came to my uh, uh, understanding is that because, you know, everything that's in, under the sun, filled with, despite being filled with its frustration and, and confusion, this, despite it feeling like striving after the wind, all of this is going to fade away. And because all of this is going to fade away, we can say that in one sense, they don't matter. As Christians, we are to pursue, we are to strive, work hard, and work up to higher and better positions when those opportunities arise. But our successes are not the end of our pursuits, nor our failures to be the end of our journey. The problem is our successes and failures here under the sun can often cloud us from seeing what is above the sun. At the end of the day, despite my successes and my failures, I am still a child of God, loved by God, with the promise of a heavenly inheritance. And though everything I do matter as I do them for the sake of my God, with the, uh, for the sake of my God, I know that all of this will eventually fade away. Our buildings and the, and the wisdoms of this age and this world, everything that I've acquired, all my books and my hobbies and, and all the things that are around me will eventually just simply go away. So I can learn to relax and find my rest and peace in my God. I can be certain that God will be faithful to us despite our lacking. And there's no reason why we should believe he'll change. So yeah, you might fret about not getting that dream job. You might fret about not getting that promotion. But in one sense, they don't really matter. For the parents in, our room, in this room, we might want our, our children to go to the best schools and have the best opportunities. And they are good and well. But in one sense, those schools and opportunities also don't matter. Will they affect their and your eternal uh, security and location? Will what you do in this world or where you go for score, what you have for a job, how much money is in your bank account, will that affect where you stand before God for all eternity? They do matter in one sense, but they also don't matter in another sense. It's interesting to note that the only thing the preacher does not count as vanity is having people who can catch you when you fall or pick you up rather when you fall. He says in chapter four, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And what's the reward? For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another lift him up. A single person can go far right, can go fast by himself or herself and, and acquire so much wealth. But who's gonna be there to pick that person up when they fall? Because again, we're living in a fallen world. When you rise, you will fall. When you have those highs, the lows are right around the corner. Who will be there to pick you up? Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Isn't it interesting that, that a lot of things, all the things that we can acquire and earn and, 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 and have in this world are all vanity to the preacher, except to have someone who can be there to pick you up when you fall, the preacher says, that's not vanity. So all of our businesses, all of our wealth, all of our pleasures and the wisdom of this world will fade away. But because people are immortals, we are created and we live forever. Those who have found their joy in loving Christ will live in God's kingdom. Whereas those who have rejected Christ will live gnashing their teeth and weeping forever. So dear friends, what are we investing in? Are we investing in something that's going to last? The souls of people who will last. And how do we know that what will be in eternity will be better than what, we, what has ever been? Because Jesus died to forgive our sins and he rose to life, ascended into heaven where he currently dwells preparing a place for us. Now, you and I cannot perceive what that world will look like. I can't fully picture to you what the kingdom of God is going to be like, but we know that it's real. We know it's real because Christ is there right now. We know it's good because he is in his glory right now. And this place will not be a place where we simply rest and sleep all day. I, I hope that's not the paradise to you. It may be for some of the college students, maybe because it was for me, right? just to be able to sleep 12 hours a day and play video games for eight and then work for two and then bathroom and eating for the other two. Uh, no, that's not, that's not the kingdom of God. Right? Working is not the result of the fall. It's the frustration that we find in the work, the lack of good product in the work that's the result of the fall. So what that means is when we're in God's kingdom, the skills that you have developed in this world will continue to remain. And that you will build and you will work and produce things where at the end of it, you can say, this is good. This was worth it. Because everything that we do will not be frustrated with thorns and thistles, but will come with great glory and majesty. Having said that, I as a pastor, I have no idea what I'm gonna do in God's kingdom because you don't wanna listen to me when you're in God's kingdom. You have far better preachers. You have Jesus himself probably preaching. So maybe I'll just stand guard by the gate. <laughs> and that's fine. If that's what the Lord has called me to do, is stand in his presence and guard the gates. But that's what we'll do. It will be a place where we can utilize all of our skills with successful outcomes and right impact. We ask the questions, is it worth it now? And when we're in God's kingdom, we will say, this is worth it. We ask the question, has this made any difference whatsoever? And in God's kingdom, we'll say, this is making all the difference because none of our work will be frustrated anymore. What we do here matter because of the impact it will have in God's kingdom. But right now, we are to be faithful even when the work that's given to us may not be grand nor noticed by others. This is why, dear friends, I believe Christians should not play the lottery. I know $1.55 billion is enticing, but it's vanity. This is a preacher who had all the wealth that one could think of, and he says, I could spend it on whatever I wanted to. When I came to it at the end, though, it was pointless. And you have heard of stories of how lives are destroyed because they've won such money so quickly. This is also why I think it's not so wise for Christians to have a legitimate bucket list uh, you know, bucket lists are, are, are those things that, that you know, we, we, we say, 
I must do this. I must go here. I must eat this or else my life is not complete, right? Go and enjoy your vacations, right? Go and enjoy the food and the opportunities that are given to you. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you should go and take those opportunities so that you can have those experiences reflect the creator who is good and majestic and glorious. But it's that latter phrase where we get tripped up. If I don't have these things, if I don't experience these things, then my life is not complete. To the point where we will avoid the responsibilities that God has given to us so that we can fulfill these personal cravings and desires. And what that tells to the world is you don't believe that there is an eternal heaven. You don't believe that what God has for you after this age passes away is truly better. You believe that this is all there is. And if you pursue a life like that, then it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be confusing because some of you will get what you wanted only to say at the end, was that it? I was hoping for more. I hope that you have experienced how vain life can be so that a longing is created in your heart for something better. And if God isn't real, then we as Christians are the people most to be pitied because we proclaim a world that is better that does not exist. But if God is real, and if Jesus has truly come to pay the price for our sins and rose again to eternal life, ascended into heaven and preparing a place for us, then we can think and perceive that nothing is changing, but recognize that God is making all things new. As history is moving forward in a cycle and we're wondering why are things repeating themselves and nothing seems to change, we can say with absolute hope, God is moving and making things new.